Welcome into the Thunder Basketball Universe and our first playoff pod, your one-stop shop for all the info leading up to the first round of the playoffs against Houston. Nick and I are looking back at the Thunder's three games against Houston this season, and we're giving you a breakdown of the matchup and everything that you need to know leading into game one. We got a lot to cover, so let's get to it. It's the Thunder Basketball Universe. Nick, it has been a long season to say the least, but I have been waiting all season to say this. We are about to do a playoff podcast. How does that make you feel? I love it. I love it. You know, we're going to get the best out of each other. Playoff Paris is coming in. She's coming in. She's going to, you know, do all her recaps. She's going to be on the broadcast and the Thunder is going to bring its best too. I mean, this is the, this is what they say. You want to be playing your best basketball at the end of the season. Nobody is playing anywhere close to its best basketball right now because they're all just trying to get their feet back under them. But I tell you what, Paris, you and I are going to be on the top of our game. We're going to have our best podcasts of the season That's right, right here going into this stretch. And we've got a lot to break down for you in this podcast, particularly because we're rolling into the very first game of the first round of the playoffs against none other than the Houston Rockets. So this podcast is going to have a lot in it. We're going to break down that matchup bit by bit and let you know everything that you need to be on the lookout for going into that first game of the playoffs. Yeah. And let's just start with basically what the Thunder and the Rockets did during the regular season. They had three meetings. Uh, One of them was the fourth game of the year. Two of them happened within 11 days of each other in January. Mm -hmm. And none of them happened after the massive trade that the Rockets made in early February. So first of all, let's just start with what happened in the three games that these teams played. The first one, as I mentioned, October 28th, Thunder went down to Houston and they lost by four. James Harden had 40 points. uh, As we were saying, the Thunder was just getting on its feet. Absolutely. And that game in particular, we learned a lot about what, how Houston scores their points, right? I mean, 28 of their points came from the free throw line and 20 one of them were from James Harden by himself. That really helped him get to those 40 points. But again, they had Clint Capella at that point, and Lou Dort was not in the lineup for the Thunder yet. Right, so fast forward to January 9th, and the Thunder is a completely different team at that point in the season. They're in the midst of this incredible stretch where they won nine straight road games and you know had changed really their attitude, their confidence in the month of December. Meanwhile, Houston was kind of getting into those dog days of January that a lot of teams suffer from, starting to feel like they were going to need a changeup. We had no idea how big of a changeup it was going to be about a month after this, but January 9th in Oklahoma City, and the Thunder basically wiped the floor with the Rockets, wearing those uh, City Edition uniforms honoring uh, the victims of the the Murrah Federal Building bombing uh, for the very first time. Uh, emotional is an understatement to describe what was going through the arena in that game. We dedicated an entire podcast. I think like one and a half podcasts to this game really, because it really was a special night. Obviously it was the first night that Russ earned a Chesapeake energy arena since the trade over the summer and the thunder wearing their city edition uniforms. It was a packed crowd. I mean, that was my first game where I wasn't sitting on media row right next to the, to the floor. I was actually up in the stands kind of amongst the crowd 18,000 screaming fans it was a night for the books yeah Paris I remember telling you like get used to this 
for the playoffs because that <laughs> night really was a playoff atmosphere. Little did I know that we would not be having any playoff games at Chesapeake Energy Arena this season. So uh, you're going to have to wait a little while for that one, I think. And the the point of the night from that game was Chris Paul the nutmeg just to cap off his incredible performance in that game. He finished with 18 points, but still, it was still just an incredible nutmeg to just send the whole arena into a frenzy going into the end of that game. Yeah. He had Isaiah Hartenstein's head spinning on that one. And uh, the thunder really, that was a wire to wire to victory. 10, nine lead was the last you know time that they even looked back in that game. And I think it really exposed the way that the Thunder, which they did some in that first meeting, they exposed the Rockets on some of their switches defensively. Mm -hmm. I mean, Danilo Gallinari able to just turn around, face up, and knock down easy jumpers over uh, the smaller guys that were on him, like James Harden. Uh, Steven Adams also has done a really good job in in the two games that he was actually able to see extended minutes in, drawing fouls on Harden and others who switched onto him. Uh, we'll talk about this more later, but now without Capella, the Rockets are going to switch even more defensively. Almost everything will switch. And so the Thunder's really going to have to expose those mismatches the way that it did in the regular season. And and let's talk about this because the Thunder held James Harden to only only 17 points. But for a guy that's averaging up, upwards of 30, that's a very, very good defensive night for the Thunder. And the three-point defense in that game, they really got it going for the Thunder, really held the Houston to only 27% from behind the three-point line. And you got to remember, we'll talk about this a little later, but Houston gets a lot of their points from behind the arc with the way that they play the play basketball. So that was a really good win for the Thunder. And I think something that they also carried over 11 days later into their next game at Houston. And the same factors applied there, Paris, in terms of three-point defense, making Harden inefficient. And that was Lou Dort's first start ever a 112-107 win down in Houston on MLK Day. And Harden was held to 1 of 17 shooting from behind the three-point line. Dort stepped in there and took a massive charge on Harden late in that game. It was a 15-point comeback rally in the final 7 minutes and 18 seconds of that game. And uh, the Thunder, again, sort of just left the Rockets bewildered uh, in that fourth quarter. You have to remember, Paris, that Stephen Adams and Nerlens Noel both played very, very limited minutes. Actually, Nerlens was a late scratch from this game. Stephen went out in the opening couple minutes. So it was Mike Muscala and Danilo Gallinari at center in that game. And I remember Danilo telling me afterwards, if I'm playing center, you know something's wrong. Well, that's a good foreshadowing for what we're seeing from both of these teams going into these seeding games. The Rockets have yet to play their preferred five starting lineup in these eight games. And the Thunder, similarly, kind of had a little bit of a rocky start with their lineups, kind of putting pieces here and there. You know, Steven Adams didn't play a few games, and um, Danilo Gallinari sat out. Shea, even even Chris sat out a game or two. So there's a lot of fluctuating in these lineups going into the playoffs. So it should be really interesting to see who steps on the floor. We're still waiting a status on Lou Dort, who had a little bit of a nasty spill against Miami and suffered a right knee sprain. It's still to be determined whether or not he'll be available for the first game against Houston on Tuesday but we do know for sure is that Russell Westbrook will be out in that game with that 
quad strain. So it'll be still have a little bit of a different look for Houston's lineup. Who's looking to put that first five out there for the first time in Orlando. Yeah. Mike D'Antoni, the Rockets head coach announced that Westbrook will be out kind of still to be determined moving forward in the series past game one. He also confirmed that Eric Gordon will probably get the primary assignment on Chris Paul heading into that game defensively. Eric Gordon's a guy that's been in and out of the lineup as well. So we'll be interesting to see how he kind of commands that matchup defensively, but then also probably has to take on some extra workload offensively as well. Well, this goes into, this is a great transition, Nick, into our breakdown of this matchup. Obviously there's a lot to unpack here between these two teams, very contrasting styles and how they play. And let's start with these lineups because as we all know, Houston really presents a small ball lineup, unlike anything that we really see in the league right now. They don't have Clint Capella, and the tallest person that they have on the floor at one at one point is normally six foot eight in Robert Covington. So this is a little bit of a unique lineup, and it'll be interesting to see how Coach Donovan goes about this with our centers in Steven Adams and Nerlens Noel. Right. So just because the Rockets are small in terms of height, they do have guys that play with kind of that length and ferocity guy like PJ Tucker, Chris Paul raves about him all the time. I think part of it is because they're fellow North Carolina guys. So I Maybe. think they got to stick together, but you know, Robert Covington, he's a guy that never played center before. And really there is no center on this team. As we mentioned earlier, they switch everything defensively. Mm-hmm. So you're going to just get matched up with who you get matched up with. The thing that that does though, is it actually prevents one of the things that the thunder does absolutely the best in the league, which is, getting bigs and pick and roll and then getting into the middle of the lane and making that big, make a choice. Am I going to come up and cover or I'm going to stay back and hang at the rim when they stay back and hang at the rim, Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder, SGA, they're knocking down mid range jumpers. If they come up and try to pressure that ball handler, it's a lob to Steven Adams or Nerlens Noel or a kick out or, you know, a finish around the rim because one of those guards for the thunder is blown by them. So, it will be a fascinating dynamic to see whether the Thunder guards and bigs are able to exploit these mismatches that are going to happen when there's switches. Let's flip it over to the defensive end because that's another interesting aspect in this as well. If you have the Thunder bigs in there, how do they go about defending You know, everybody spaced out on the perimeter with Houston and preventing these the threat from both outside of the three-point line and in the paint where Houston actually does get a lot of production from their guys? Yeah, if you look at Houston's shot chart, it's all threes, all at the rim. And the reason is they're basically going to drive and kick, drive and kick, drive and kick. And Steven Adams multiple times has talked about as a big man, the hardest thing to do in the NBA is to close out to a guard on the perimeter. If you're closing out too hard, you're going to crash into them. They might get three free throws. If you don't close out hard enough, they'll hit a jumper right in your face. And then if you close out at a a bad angle, they're going to just blow past you for another drive, which can lead to a layup or another kick out for three. So that's going to be the huge decision that Billy Donovan is going to be having to make in this series is how much and in which situations and in which matchups can they keep Steven Adams and Nerlens Noel and some of these other Thunder bigs on the floor like Danilo Gallinari. And because Houston loves to play in transition so much, how can they prevent some of those cross matches or be in position to help on those cross matches when James Harden is dancing back and forth with the ball in front of Danilo and trying to attack him off the bounce. How can the Thunder be in help side position where they're not giving up fouls and they're not giving up three pointers? 
And that transitions perfectly into our second thing to keep an eye out on. And that's the three point line and the free throw line between both of those. That is the majority of the production from Houston's offense at any point on the floor. They are first in the league in percentage of points from the three point line, and they are second in three pointers made. So a lot of their production comes from behind the arc, and it'll be critical for the Thunder to be able to, like you said, Nick, get out there, get a high hand, and protect the three-point line while also not allowing those easy drives back to the bucket and risking putting them to the free throw line. The good thing for the Thunder Paris is OKC had the best transition defense in the NBA this season, ranked first, and one of the top three-point defenses in the league all year. And then in the bubble, they actually had the best three-point defense uh, among any of the 22 teams that were there. That's something really encouraging for the Thunder in this playoff series is that they have that in their back pocket. They know what they need to do when it comes to having that urgency on the three-point line and really deterring them. But something interesting that Coach Donovan said yesterday, when you have that much of your point production that comes from the three-point line, you're not going to take every single look away. It's just not going to happen, especially against just that high of a volume of three-point looks from Houston. But what you can do is make sure that in every possession, which like we know in playoffs it comes down to possession by possession games every possession making every look as difficult as possible right I mean Houston's gonna launch 40 to 45 threes in the game the key is can you make sure that they only hit like 10 or 12 compared to 18 or 20 and that's why Houston is such a high volatility team they get hot for a week they look like world beaters and then if they're cool you know that that can cause an issue when you're playing the math game like that Uh, It can be very uh, a high fluctuation type of situation. And that's something the Thunder did during all three of its games against Houston this season. In those wins, they were able to keep the Rockets under 30% from the three-point line, and they were also able to win at the foul line. So those two things really are kind of easy, tangible keys that the Thunder can have in their head going into this playoff series. Yeah, and we do need to talk more about the free throw line because Harden leads the NBA in free Mm -hmm. throw attempts per game, 11 a game. He's an excellent free throw shooter. Westbrook's not far behind him. He's fifth. Uh, 15th in the NBA in free throw attempts per game. So the Thunder has to do an incredible job. Again, we're closing out to the three-point line, coming around those screens and not getting their hands caught. Harden is one of the very best in the NBA. When he's going around a screen to his right, he's got that chicken wing that he's going to grab your arm if you got it in there, and he's going to pull that arm in, and then he's going to go up with the shot. And, and so just that experience of knowing that, having a guy like Andre Robertson who's been in those matchups time and again, over and over again in in past playoff series, uh, that's just going to be absolutely crucial. And the good thing for the Thunder, too, is that they are right up there with Houston and their ability to get to the free throw line and put points on the board from the charity stripe. So that's something that they have in their arsenal as well. But they're going to have to flex that muscle, too, going up against Houston, who also likes to get a lot of shots from the three or from the foul line. Yeah, no doubt about it. This can't be a situation where the Thunder is minus uh, significantly, you know, minus double digits in the free throw attempts column look for a couple of CP swings and, and Kiwi swings here and there. <laughs> well, the Kiwi, and, and that's kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, Paris, where the Thunder has to exploit these mismatches. Mm-hmm. And just remember, the Rockets play maybe eight guys in the rotation, Max. You're not going to see Mike D'Antoni go deep into his bench. And Adams has added that to his game this year, the ability to post up and draw a foul against a, a switch instead of 
getting an offensive foul by backing him down, you know, a little too hard and trying to get all the way to the rim. Adams has been really good about turning to his left, going towards the middle of the lane on that left block, and then drawing that contact just like the cp swing it's the kiwi swing as michael cage would say you can always count on at least one trip to the free throw line from chris and steven at any point in the game from those types of plays but nick we have to talk about james harden the, he, this is his third consecutive season as the league scoring champion he is averaging let me put some stats out here he is averaging 34.1 points per game, 8.9 assists, 8.3 rebounds, 2.7 steals, while shooting 53% from the floor and 37% from the three-point range and 90% from the foul line. So this guy is all-encompassing in his offensive attack, and it's something that the Thunder cannot do by just putting one person on him. Right. Uh, just have to make him as inefficient as possible. The Thunder has shown some ability to do that. You got to guard with your hands up, hands out to the side in places that he cannot, uh, you know, rip his hands through them. Uh, and then again, you're sending multiple defenders. Having Lou Dort would be huge for the Thunder in this series, but you've got guys like we mentioned, Andre Robertson, who's got experience against Harden. Hamanu Diallo, he's shown that he can be a pest defensively. Terrence Ferguson, he's been in that matchup before. And oh, don't forget, Dennis Schroeder, the guy that yeah. was out for six of the, the Thunder's eight seeding games, being back home for the birth of his daughter, he's been one of the Thunder's defensive aces too. And I would have to imagine Chris Paul is going to ask for that assignment against Harden in some of these situations if it's coming down to gut check time. I was about to say, you know both of these teams are actually pretty good in, when it comes to clutch time games. And you have to imagine some of these games might come down to the wire. And if that happens... Chris Paul is going to be the one to ask for that matchup. Here at the Thunder, we like to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing, Nick, is that it is now time to switch into playoff mode. The mentality from regular season into the playoffs is a, just a completely different animal. And Nick, as our veteran here on the <laughs> Thunder basketball universe, Maybe you could explain a little bit better what that shift is like from regular season to going into playing the same team over and over and over again. Well, Paris, the hope is that the habits that you've built throughout the regular season are things that you continue to carry over into the playoffs. The resilience, the connectedness, the trust, all of that stuff. So in some ways, you want the playoffs to be a continuation of what you've built, but understanding that the games are a lot longer because of extended commercial breaks, every single game is on national television. Also, the number of possessions sometimes you know, fluctuates between the types of opponents that you're playing. So in the playoffs against a team like Houston, that's probably going to be a very high possession game. They love to get up and down the floor. No lead is safe. We've seen that in the NBA during the regular season too. I mean, if anybody knows that any game is uh, always a comeback possibility, it's the Thunder. But understanding how long the games are and really understanding how long the series are down there in the bubble. They might be a little bit more insulated from some of that outside noise from some of the, the crowd interaction, but understanding that no matter what happens in that game one, the thunder has to be able to come back with the right mentality, the right focus, the right energy. I think about first round playoff or sorry, second round playoff series against the San Antonio Spurs in 2016 the Thunder got absolutely smoked by the Spurs in game one down in San Antonio. 
LaMarcus Aldridge went completely nuts. It was over midway through the third quarter. Next game, two days later, game two, Thunder comes back, acted like that never happened before. They shrugged it off. They had a slightly different game plan, but really mostly kept the same trust and in their system, in their defensive identity, and they got a win down in San Antonio and were able to turn that series. That's why I think it's so important for Coach Donovan to always talk about we have to use these regular season games, these eight abbreviated regular season games, to build that identity, to build that cohesion and that rhythm because this is where it comes down to it is in the playoffs. And I think Chris Paul mentioned it. When you're in the playoffs – Everybody knows your plays. Everybody, your your yeah. scout is so second nature for your opponent. So it really comes down to how well you can execute because they know what you're going to do. So it doesn't matter if you can catch them off guard. It's a matter of wanting it more. Yeah. It, sometimes the game plan is do what we do better. And that's <laughs> yeah. not always easy to say. And publicly, you know, if you're coming off of a loss, sometimes that can be hard to, to put out there. But a lot of times it's the truth. Uh, Paris, this is way before your time, but it reminds me of the movie Stripes. Just like last time, only better. <laughs> <laughs> way over my head, but that's yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> it is now time for Made You Look. And what made us look was that Coach Donovan coached his 400th career NBA game against the Clippers on Friday and just an incredible accomplishment and we had him on the podcast and we understand how his longevity works writes everything down he is just so well connected in the coaching community no surprise there for for coach Donovan the 105th NBA head coach to coach 400 games. It's kind of an insecure job. You see coaches get fired every offseason. Um, you saw Alvin Gentry from the New Orleans Pelicans uh, got fired recently. And, you know, it's, it's a job where you're often at the behest of either the, the types of players that are on your roster. You've got to adapt to ever-changing roster dynamics in the NBA with free agency and trade demands and um, it just kind of also depends on like the life cycle of your organization, the draft, all of that type of stuff. And I think that's one of the things that as a guy that came from college, Billy Donovan understood greatly, which is his roster in college is changing every single year because guys are matriculating. So uh, kind of a, a good idea by Sam Presti to hire somebody foreseeing that player movement was going to be a huge thing in the NBA. And at this point in the season, Coach Donovan, rightfully so, has earned Coach of the Year as voted on by the Coaches Association, Co-Coach of the Year alongside Mike Budenholzer, but also a, not, a, a finalist for NBA Coach of the Year. Just absolutely well-deserved by Coach Donovan and an incredible milestone to reach here going into the playoffs. Guy that looks at his players in terms of what they can do as opposed to what they, maybe their limitations are, what they can't do. We've come to that point in the podcast where we want to bless your timeline. And what better timeline blessing than a birthday? And it was actually Chris Paul's daughter, Cameron Paul's birthday yesterday. We're recording this on Monday, August 17th. So her birthday was Sunday. And Chris Paul mentioned it during his media availability. He bought her a new pair of roller skates. So yeah. cute. And let's hope that there's uh, not a lot of sharp objects in the Paul house <laughs> out there in California. Uh, maybe take any nice vases down off of uh, countertops <laughs> or, you know, 
end tables, you know, just make sure, you know, make sure there's some soft surfaces around. Um, but anyway, very cool. We saw, uh, I think some footage of Chris having Shay give a little message to, to Cameron Paul also. Uh, and then, uh, CP three blew up his own Instagram story with lots of pics of his daughter, Cameron. So that was very cute to see. And we know family is the main thing for Chris Paul at all times. He always wears a hat that has an owl on it. And he's got a, howl, a, a necklace with that same owl on it. That owl actually represents his family. It's a combination of all of their zodiac signs. And so he always has his family with him. But this is the first time that he said he's, this is the first time that he has been away from one of his kids during their birthday. So a lot of, lot of love from Chris Paul via FaceTime for Cam on Sunday. Yeah. And just a poignant example of, you know, the sacrifices that are being made a guy like Chris Paul, he helped plan this bubble knowing that he was going to be away from his family during this time. And, you know, understanding that these guys are real human beings that are missing some things for the first time, missing more than they would ever miss during a normal regular season or off season. And um, the sacrifices that they're making uh, to keep us entertained. Absolutely. And it also doesn't go unnoticed with their teammates too. I think back to when Hami said, you know, one of his big motivations for, you know, bringing it every night was knowing that guys like Chris Paul and Dennis Shooter were leaving their families behind to come play and be a part of their team. And they didn't have to do that. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of appreciation all the way around from everybody inside the bubble on the sacrifices that are making this possible. Yeah. And it's not just the players. I mean, I think about Thunder staff, uh, you know, guys like Donnie Strack. He's got a ton of kids. Matt Tumbleson, vice president of basketball communications, who we work with quite a bit. He's got four kids at home here in Oklahoma City. So uh, our hearts go out to, to everybody that's down there in the bubble that's missing out on that good family time. That's all for today's playoff podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much to our producers. And until next time, thunder up and catch you later.